0: Hello, and welcome to Vital Views, the podcast for the UNLV School of Nursing. I'm Joe Gascioni, Communications Director for the School of Nursing. Nursing can positively impact lives beyond the bedside, and not just in local communities, but international ones as well. UNLV Nursing Associate Professor in Residence, Dr. Kathleen Timpson, is helping fight on the global front lines against human trafficking, specifically forced organ harvesting, which is exactly how it sounds. People are forced to donate their organs without consent, for patients who need transplants. This is an ethical and health violation in need of more awareness and advocacy against. Dr. Timson is well versed in this subject, having not only presented before on this, but her expertise includes forensic nursing, clinical practice, and community health. She joins us in the booth today to share her insight into this prevalent problem. Dr. Timson, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Can you explain how this type of trafficking works? Where does the research show this happens most frequently?
1: There are definitely a lot of countries that are involved in forced argon harvesting. Probably the most pronounced and well-publicized is in the country of China, where forced argon harvesting is an accepted and considered legal practice. That is, um, the mechanism of uh, the action of forced argon harvesting occurs in that um, ordinary citizens who are typically Religious uh, followers of either Taoist, Buddhist, uh, Falun Gong, among some other religious practices. Um, Those practitioners are literally arrested off of the street, and um, they don't even take their names. They take basically a swab of the inside of their cheek in their mouth for their DNA, and they are incarcerated in a Chinese prison. And the government waits until someone who is seeking an organ that would match the tissue type of that particular individual um, beckons to come to China for what is considered um, organ transplant tourism. It's a form of um, medical practice. And the government in China endorses this and actually makes quite a bit of money off of it because, as I said, it is legal there. These patients then or these victims um, are then selected again based on their DNA uh, to be organ donors uh, very much against their will.
0: And when did you first get attached to this issue?
1: So I've been working with uh, human trafficking, primarily sex and labor trafficking, for probably close to seven years now. And um, this particular aspect – Was something I was aware of back about 20 years ago when I lived in Philadelphia, in that a lot of homeless people were found dead or near to death uh, in one of the parks in Philadelphia City proper. And they were victims of being abducted because they were homeless and their organs were sought for transplant, which obviously were was an illegal practice here in the United States. But these are disposable people, so I knew that the practice was in existence. And then, fast forward, uh, probably the last seven years, um, I worked with Mid America Transplant in the St. Louis market, uh, where I used to live, and um, we did not see because occasionally working in trafficking or anti-trafficking, I would ask their opinion on, did they see any kind of organ trafficking in the Midwest? And we didn't see it in the Midwest or even in the United States. However, about a year ago, year and a half ago now, I was asked to work with a group called Doctors Against Forced Argan Harvesting. And they've been around since about 2005. They've been nominated for Nobel Peace Prize a couple of times. And um, their work is international, and they've never had any nursing input into the practice before. But because uh, I'm a part of the Academy of Forensic Nursing, which is an international nursing organization, um, we were actually um, consulted to help them to advance their cause and to help to expand the voice and the message about forced organ harvesting. Because today, there are many U.S. Uh, residents who seek organ transplant outside of the United States, primarily in China,
0: is it because it's more affordable? Because it's more convenient? They don't have to wait.
1: So they don't have to wait because they have a ready supply in China in the prisons waiting uh, to be called upon to uh, have organs um, taken from them, and the cost is really, really lo- a lot less than it ca- it is in the United States. If you look at the cost of a kidney transplant here in the United States, it averages probably about $80,000 and maybe a two- to three-year wait. If you seek out uh, via the Internet, uh, any consumer can do this, seek out organ transplant from China through their tourism program, uh, you can get uh, a kidney within two weeks, and the cost is between ten to twenty thousand dollars.
0: There are obviously legal and criminal implications with this, despite China considering it legal. You could one could argue this is still a, a criminal nature. Legislators trying to pass laws to force to stop forced harvesting. Congress's Human Rights Commission has discussed it. I believe most recently this past spring they had it on their website. Where do nurses and, for that matter, any health professional fit into this?
1: It's a really good question. And it's a multiple part answer. Um, I think awareness of the practice is the first step. And um, that's something that we at the Academy of Forensic Nursing are really trying to advance. I think second is to educate our patients who, and our, our colleagues, who are medical practitioners here in the United States. I mean, Uh, Whether it be a physician who's taking care of a patient as a primary care provider or a nurse practitioner, for that matter, um, in their office, um, a a patient who is a transplant recipient or who's considering going abroad for transplantation of whatever organ they need, um, we need to educate patients about where those organs are coming from. And the fact that, um, you know, one of the mechanisms of action <clears throat> to uh, retrieve these organs is that um, it's very much an inhumane and very unethical practice just from the face of it. But when you get down into the details of it, these patients are, uh, when they are taken to the operating room to have their organs harvested, they um, there, there's two types of sedation that are given to patients undergoing any kind of surgical procedure. One is to paralyze the body, and two is to give them um, a medication for awareness so they're not aware of what's happening. And in the case of these um, victims of forest organ harvesting uh, in China, where it's been publicized and there has been a lot of medical practitioners from the U.S. and across the world, have actually witnessed these procedures, these patients are paralyzed so they cannot move, but they are awake. They are not given any medication for awareness or sedation from that respect. And as a result of that, um, they uh, can see and know what's coming next. And um, your body undergoes a a situation of preparing for flight or fight. And uh, that causes a perfusion of your circulatory supply to your vital organs, your lungs, your heart, your brain. And so they're aware of what what is going to happen to them. And the, the premise is that the organs that are taken have such a, a vast increase in the amount of blood flow that they're healthier uh, as a result of the that flight or fight syndrome uh, and and the increased amount of circulation to those organs. So the rejection rate potentially could be lower because of the high perfusion rate of the blood. Um, You know, another aspect is that there's a lot of unknowing um, use of any kind of um, organ uh, procurement process. So one example, I was recently at my dentist and we got into a conversation when she had her hands out of my mouth uh, about her use of cadaver bone for dental um, use, whereby they pull a tooth typically and you need to regenerate bone growth. So they'll put sprinkle of cadaver powder, bone powder into your your mouth. And I said to her, uh, where, where do you get your product from? She's like, well, dental supply company. I said, go get your package. We we had been talking about forced organ harvesting, so she went and got her package. And there's no country of origin listed on the package. And I said to her, probably this was uh, from the bones of one of the victims of uh, organ harvesting, because that's what they do after they take the organs, the vital organs that they need. Then the second step of that is if the patient dies on the OR table, they'll take their bones, um, their cornea, their skin, whatever, uh, to be sold again and again in other types of of tissue harvesting and tissue um, transplant. So, you know, as a dentist, and and I know other dentists across the country that I've had this conversation with, unknowingly we're using these kinds of products. I mean, how would you,
0: if you receive it from a supply company, you wouldn't think twice necessarily. You would just assume it's from a reputable source.
1: You would think. However, there are no import laws relative to the labeling uh, and the notification. If, If a product is produced in the United States, Um, we have certain manufacturing standards for drugs, over-the-counter drugs, and even cosmetics. But products being brought in from outside of the U.S. don't always fall uh, to be uh, in compliance or aligned with our U.S. production um, guidelines. So there's two sets of standards. One, if you're a foreign-made product, and two, if you are... uh, a product made in the U.S. And th- I speak from to that on a number of levels. I did some research probably 20 or 30 years ago now on gauze products that were uh, manufactured in the Pacific Rim that have a whole different level of sterilization requirements uh, put upon them as opposed to cotton manufacturers and gauze manufacturers here in the U.S. that Are held to a very high standard, but the Pacific Rim manufacturers are not held to that standard. Same thing with gloves. It's all about regulatory aspects.
0: I want to take a step back, kind of look more big picture. Forensic nursing, for people that aren't aware of what forensic nursing is, can you talk about this this specialty and how it ties back into a subject like forced organ, organ harvesting?
1: Sure. So um forensic nursing is a relatively new specialty within nursing. It's about almost 30 years old but it's it's relatively new in terms of the numbers. There's probably about 12,000 forensic nurses um, not only nationally, but internationally. And we focus on working with persons who have had their lives impacted by some form of violence, whether that's interpersonal violence, uh, whether it's uh, by nature of a crime that's been perpetrated. Uh, and in this case, uh, you know, the, the the patient is very much exploited. So we deal with all sorts of... Uh, st- Conditions of the of the human spirit, so to speak, relative to however their lives have been impacted by that particular aspect of what violence is um, in, in that realm. So that could be from... Um, Anywhere across the lifespan. So from a pediatric or a child um, perspective, all the way to the elderly. So you have child abuse, you have child sexual assault, you have child trafficking, um, you have domestic violence, you have interpersonal violence, you have gunshot victims, uh, stabbing victims, strangulation is another area that in the last 10 years is really becoming a a new specialty because there's a lot of unknowns about strangulation because you can't see the injury. Um, So the use of alternative light sources, which forensic nurses have really taken the lead on um, really identifying and validating. Um, the importance of using alternate light to identify at the time a patient presents after being strangled. Um, Of course, if it was non-fatal strangulation, if it's a fatal strangulation, even coroners are using alternate light source to identify the, the trauma that's occurred in people, um, and then it includes a wide variety of other forms of violence, and to include, you know, any kind of financial exploitation, elder abuse. Um, uh, disabled, uh, adult abuse. Um, so it's a, it's a wide spectrum, even disaster management and emergency preparedness, death investigation. Those are other subspecialties within forensic nursing.
0: It's not just about the care and the treatment. It's also about the victimology and the offender, correct?
1: Correct. Correct. We have another faculty member here at UNLV who's, uh, Probably the grandfather. If you'll excuse me from saying that, of uh, forensic nursing, but his specialty is in gangs and in um, childhood victimization um, and and perpetration into into gangs. So we really do look at uh, you know our the the our patient population from not only what care we have to give, but what are preventative interventions we can put into place and then what are programs that we can put into place to improve and empower the the persons to really recover and become resilient and thrive after being victimized
0: now this october you're set to speak on forced organ harvesting at a global nursing summit. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. This is a collaboration between the Academy of Forensic Nursing and Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting. And as I said earlier, um, nurses haven't historically been involved with Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting. And last year, um, uh, another colleague of mine from Baltimore, a nurse, myself were the two nurses who were asked to present at the United Nations uh, with Doctors Against Forced Argan Harvesting in a global medical summit. This year, we're partnered, the Academy and um, Doctors Against Forced Argan Harvesting, to do the first global summit for nursing relative to um, forced argon harvesting. And I'm one of the three um, program planners. And I'm very pleased to say we have um, everything covered from the epidemiology of um, and the data that supports what we know about forced organ harvesting. We have some. Uh, we have a, a survivor of um, being arrested. She was a Falun Gong a practitioner, and she was arrested and incarcerated. And for whatever reason, she was let go. And so she is now sought asylum here in the U.S. to tell her story, um, and uh, we have her presenting. We'll also be talking about, uh, from an ethics perspective and a legal perspective, um, uh, about forced organ harvesting. We're going to be talking about prevention and education of consumers uh, as well as our colleagues in nursing and in other medical uh, specialties uh, because this is really something that people haven't heard a lot about. But the problem is such an issue with China uh, uh, in that they are actually going to be probably um, leading the the globe in terms of the numbers of uh, kidney transplants that are being done there will outpace what we're doing here in the United States and that's a concern to the transplant industry because of these unethical and illegal to in our our view um ways of uh, uh, procuring those organs. So this is problematic because it could change the whole ethics and the whole complexion of transplant medicine, even here in the United States.
0: And it has to be challenging that because they consider it legal, you can only do so much. You can raise awareness. You can advocate against this practice, but you would need larger forces to help make a, uh, excuse me, help make a difference. How do you sup- – or how do you propose – like how do you get leaders, world leaders, political leaders as a community, a health community to help rectify this, to change this?
1: You know, that's a really excellent question, and if I had the answer to it, uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today, but um, – and we wouldn't be talking about the problem, but, you know, forced argan harvesting is one human rights violation of many. That occur and uh, our our work with the United Nations last year, uh, we ended up having over six hundred thousand people either attend. I think we had four hundred thousand people attend the the summit, and then another two hundred thousand signed on to the archived s- sessions that we gave, and those were eight out. It was an eight hour um, seminar. You know we've we've had conversations with a lot of countries who I I, I can't even name those countries because of confidentiality with those leaders. But um, the problem is is that China ha- is a huge global economic force, and every country has uh, some degree of um, relationship with them. I I will say that in the conference last year, I I met a number of um, faculty uh, from a number of different academic institutions across the country, and I have to applaud several of them um, because their schools, their universities have actually taken a stance against admitting students into surgical or nursing rotations from certain countries, i.e. China because they don't want to be involved in training the next generation of um, clinicians that are doing unethical things because they have to. Um, I I have a colleague, I've known him for, I don't know, 10 years now, who is the head nurse of uh, a very large Taiwanese hospital. And he he runs the operating room there. And they do about 2,000 surgeries a day if you can imagine that. Most hospitals don't do that in a week, but they do it in a day. And um, I asked him if he would speak at the global conference in October, and he said he could not put his family in jeopardy because even though they're in Taiwan, uh, or he's in Taiwan, uh, there's still a lot of personal danger that you put yourself in by speaking out about uh, this practice that goes on.
0: Where can people find out more information about this? Um, we mentioned before the Human Rights Commission, which it's it's online, but what are some other resources people can use to do the research themselves?
1: So um, putting, you know, doing a search, going to a library and getting uh, a search. Uh, there's a lot written about it, but a lot uh, that isn't written about it for a number of reasons. Um, you can visit the Academy of Forensic Nursing website. Uh, we will be putting some our position paper up about that, and that's goafn.org. You can also visit uh, doctorsagainstforcedorganharvesting.org uh, for additional information, and you can read the global declaration that we put together and was signed by hundreds of thousands of people last year after the conference, because that was the first international conference and being online, I think it got a lot more legs, so to speak to have attendance uh, be so proliferative. So th- those are a couple of sources. And um, hopefully once I get more of the details, um, I have a wonderful marketing department here at UNLV School of Nursing. So I'm sure that when we get the the date finalized and the speaking agenda organized, that um, we'll be posting something on our website about that. Sounds good.
0: Is there any final message to give, whether it's for up-and-coming nurses, healthcare professionals in general, or just the general audience about this issue?
1: I think educating yourself um, as an individual first and speaking out for victims who don't have a voice. I mean, I can't even imagine. I don't think any American could imagine walking down the street and just being pulled aside, handcuffed, have a swab taken in your mouth, being put into a police car and put in jail, and you did nothing wrong except practice your religion. I think that's the, the biggest thing is trying to understand that. And if you have the opportunity to have um, to 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 state uh, to send a letter to to call your congressman or your senator, um, that would be what I would say to do. The you know one of the things that we're going to be doing is. Trying to figure out a, a place for healthcare providers to call in and, and report these kinds of crimes to about our patients that come back from China um, or who are considering going to China because uh, we don't have good numbers of how many people go there and then they come back and they have to be cared for. You know, and maybe that's something the insurance industry has to really start to address. And Medicare and Medicaid uh, is having some kind of a reporting mechanism because we we all end up paying for this. But that's one way to get a handle on how many people it actually is impacting from our, our U.S. soil.
0: That is all I have today. Dr. Timpson, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you.